This is 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to break in in the middle of verse 10 and read to the end of the chapter in verse 22. I remind you this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling, they have no knowledge. Will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions that they cannot, as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Let's pray. Now, Father, a sobering word by the Apostle Peter. In the counsel of the Holy Spirit, this holy man was carried along by the inspiration and the work of the Holy Spirit in the inner person, such that he wrote the very words of God. So therefore, Lord, let us hear these words of warning about false teaching. And, O God, we pray that you would warn and provide for us guidelines for how we may escape such pits of destruction. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you from a piece of something, tell you what it is in a moment, that purports to be Scripture. And of course, we all know we live in a generation where people believe all manner of things are in the Bible. All sorts of verses. God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Well, there is this passage that came to me this last week. It says, And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him. In quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged for my spirit and body are not one. 
How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, My child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves, for they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my Father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved, for God looks not upon the body, but the heart. This is a passage from the very pits of hell, or more accurately, from ChatGPT. Someone uh, who identifies themselves as a psychological dog online said he was feeling sad. And he asked ChatGPT to generate a fake biblical passage about Jesus accepting trans people. And that's what this passage was. It's an interesting thing that somehow AI, uh, artificial intelligence, can, can create other biblical passages, which are fake biblical passages, but in the tenor and with the tone of sacred scripture. But it can And so if anything, this tells me not only are there false teachers, but there are false teachers of the more digital variety that affect this generation. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. How do you know what's true? How do you know what's accurately quoted from Scripture? Well, by being a person who opens the word. You are like a wind sock caught in the wind at an airport that goes in whichever direction the wind blows if you don't know your Bible. God has given us the Bible, and that's what Peter has told us in chapter 1. He's given us the word, the more sure word. The truth of the matter is there will be many such passages that will be fake, that will be spurious, heretical. uh, 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 They will be apostate passages that uh, will purport to be the very words of Christ or a continuing revelation. And I'll I'll suggest to you that within 10 years, we'll be told that AI is generating a new revelation of God, that God is speaking through artificial intelligence. If that's not already what we have heard, it's what we will hear. However, the problem is, that passage that I just read a moment ago, denies that God in his word only ever speaking truth with love, only ever recognizes two genders. God made man, God made female. And there is no in-between, there is no confusion, there is no distillation nor, nor amalgam. God made man male and female. When God speaks in his word, he speaks to husbands, he speaks to wives, he speaks to single men, young men, young women, older women, single women. But he never never speaks to anything else. In reality, God recognizes because what he has created, two genders. He gives specific instructions And he recognizes only two sexes. But we live in a world that is confused, do we not? And there are many voices. In fact, I've been told, I have seen in the news, 
that the PCUSA and various other denominations have affirmed gender-affirming care, which is a sweet way or a sweet-sounding way of saying that they, in fact, support a form of mental illness and in a full engagement in sin and a denial of God's created order. The truth is, such a church is teaching as apostatized and is teaching falsely, is teaching falsely the things of God. Well, how do we make, how do we, how do we, how do we, what do we make as in sense out of this passage? Peter has written an entire chapter, verses 1 through 22, 22 scathing verses against false teaching. 22 verses against false teachers, against those who would be caught up in the same wave of rebellion, arrogance, sensuality, and greed, and rebellion against God. Our conduct is, uh, I mean, pardon me, our our, our context is, uh, basically, Peter is writing to the church uh, of exiles and of uh, people who are are aliens in the world who feel themselves to be immensely different from the world around them. As they look at themselves and as they look at the world, they realize that they stand out, that they are their lives are markedly different than the rest of the world. And they might be tempted to conform to the world, but they understand they have received the, the instruction that they must be transformed by the word of God. And Peter is affirming that. And he has told them, look, everything as it pertains to godliness has been granted to you according to the power of God. Everything necessary to live a godly life in a pagan world in a very dark place has been granted to you by the power of God. Maybe you're thinking today, I really don't know about living a godly life. It's awfully difficult. Well, God's power is granted to you everything necessary to live a godly life. Maybe there's a deficiency in you. It's not in the power of God. The deficiency is in your own will to live according to what you know God is calling you to be. Perhaps you've essentially said, Lord, I I want you and I want Christ, but I don't want to be holy. Well, if you don't want to be holy and you don't want to live a godly life, then really, ultimately, you do not want any part of Christ. Christ is holy. Christ is the best reflection of God. He is the living excellence of the Godhead. He is the Godhead in its glorious holiness. The majesty of God, gloriously displayed in his holiness, is seen in the perfect, matchless behavior of the Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly carried out the will of God the Father, who obeyed, who when tempted by sin or by Satan to sin, did not sin, nor was there any sin to be found in him. The Lord Jesus Christ was not, nor was he ever, a sinner. He is the perfect Son of God, the Redeemer of mankind, of all who believe in him. And so Peter witnesses to the truth, and he says, look, the things which you are hearing me say, the things which we have shared with you, are according to the truth that we have observed. We are first-person eyewitness 
accountants of the things, the words that uh, that we heard Jesus say. We saw, and Peter can say this, I, together with James and John, saw him transfigured, heard the words from heaven, from God the Father, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then he says, and we have in addition to the first-hand account of myself and all the apostles, we also have the more sure word. In other words, in addition to that, we have an, an extra increase, uh, uh, another sure testimony, and that is of the word of God. And he says, look, pay attention to it. It's a light shining in a dark place. You pay attention to it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, when Christ comes again, we are to be people who live by the word of God. But the problem is there will be people who will say, I believe the word of God, too. And in fact, may demonstrate themselves that they know the word of God better than you do. I'm reminded of Harold Camping, who in the 1950s was a brilliant young teacher who he was an engineer. He was a gifted man. And he was teaching in the Christian Reformed Church out in California on the West Coast. And he was teaching his Sunday school classes were very, very popular. He was preaching. He was teaching the Reformed doctrines of the Reformed faith that you and I adhere to. We hold to. He embraced the Calvinistic theology. He affirmed the things which we affirm. And in time, he began uh, even more and more to study. He eventually sold his engineering company, gave himself more and more to study, and then opened up a radio show and began to teach like that Sunday school that he was teaching in the school, in the, in the church. But then something happened. He became more and more arrogant. And of course, I know I'm glossing over various other historical developments in his in the timeline of what created Harold Camping, but that man eventually reached a position where he said, everyone in the churches must leave because the churches are apostate. You need to leave the churches and come and listen to my teaching. He believed that he could tell in the arrogance of his own mind and in his examination of scriptures without training, without instruction, without depending upon the testimonies of early church fathers or those who have come long before us, who have taught faithfully in the word of God, he came to the conclusion that God was Christ was coming again in 1994. They put up huge highway signs all over California. They spent all kinds of money. People spent money because they believed that Jesus was coming again, so they sold their homes. They gave away their goods. They divested themselves. They gave it all away. And then Jesus didn't come in 1994. And he did it again and again and again. And there were new followers and new believers, and there were... There were simple people that, ignorant of the scriptures, depended upon him to explain the word of God to them. Again and again and again, people were caught up in this and followed him and believed him. This is an example of a man that came out of the church that you and I in the earlier days would have said, this man's a wonderful teacher. He teaches the reformed doctrines. 
He's faithful to the word. He knows the Bible embarrassingly better than any one of us. And he did. Well, now he is in the hands of God. And there will be people like Harold Camping and, and, and many others. There are many, many other false teachers, some of which I named last week. I don't make a regular practice of it, and so I don't mention them again this week. My intention is not to tear them to pieces, but rather to point out that they are in fact, at least those who embrace untruth and preach something contrary to the word of God and are guilty of wicked sin against the church and against Jesus Christ, will say without hesitation they are heretics, they are apostates, At the very least, they are false teachers. Peter writes to the church and says, look, there are people like that that are going to be in your church. He's writing to Turkey, to the churches in that southwestern portion of Turkey. But he's saying this, as he said in verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So Peter's concerned for the godliness of these churches. He's concerned for the godliness of God's people. He wants them to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to add virtue to their their love, brotherly love to their endurance, all of that wonderful, all of those wonderful things that he, qualities that he commands that if they are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some in which there is a clear demonstration that there is no love, there is no brotherly love, there is not endurance, there is no knowledge, there is no self-control, there is no perseverance, there is no godliness nor virtue. You see, as he encourages God's people, look, add to your faith knowledge, virtue, self-control, perseverance, brotherly love, love. He says, but there will be some among you who profess with their mouths that they are believers. Not too long ago, I heard someone say to me, look, if the Bible says this, it sounded wonderfully humble. And yet it was an arrogant statement. If the Bible teaches this, I'll simply worship God and believe it. And as I pointed out how the Bible taught this particular matter over which we disagreed, there was none of that submission. Harold Camping used to say the same exact thing. Show me in the Bible where I'm wrong and I'll happily submit. The problem is it's so easy for someone to arrogantly assume meanings of Scripture and deny the truth of God's Word. It's like John chapter 3, verse 16, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What a glorious verse. Our souls thrill at hearing that verse. But some in the church take that and they say, you see... God has sent forth the Lord Jesus Christ to die for all human beings without distinction. 
Truly, Christ has died for all, even if you don't have faith, even if you reject Christ and live a life that is contrary to the Word of God the entirety of your days and never once yield a single thought to Christ. Here's the problem. Three verses later, in the same exact chapter of John, chapter 3, He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already. In other words, Christ did not die for all human beings without exception. He died for those who believe. And all those who believe are those appointed unto everlasting life in Christ Jesus. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Oh no, Christ did not die for all. He did not die for unbelievers. Christ did not die for those who will refuse to the last day to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for all who would believe, for all who were elected unto everlasting salvation in Himself. Christ died for all those who, prompted by the Holy Spirit, whose hearts regenerated by that secret sovereign work of the Spirit of God inside of them, creating a heart of flesh, and removing their heart of stone, Christ died for them, all of them, all of them, from every walk of life, from every nation, color, creed, and gender, male or female. Christ died for sinners. Are there four words more loved in the Christian, in the English language, than those four. Well, there are many who would come and they would teach false doctrine, very much just like the one that I mentioned, but they, they're, 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 false doctrines vary, don't they? There are all sorts of false doctrines concerning the end times, concerning the nature of salvation, concerning the nature of Christ, fully God or fully man. I shared one with you last week. <clears throat> Here in these 22 verses, he is strongly denouncing any theological suggestion that departs from the Word of God. Any deviation from truth, however minuscule. Any deviation of any kind from the truth of God's Word. He points out that there are false teachers who will deviate They will come into your churches. And there have been a few in this church who have come briefly and who have left. The Lord has sustained and provided and protected us. That's why we're not a large church, because God has sifted through and has kept and preserved the truth. And he has kept the integrity of this congregation intact. Thanks be to God. (coughs) 
Well, there was a wonderful, sweet consolation in verse 9 to all those who are afraid and they're fearful. They're uncertain about what, what will happen, what will occur in the world. It says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. The Lord Jesus knows those who are his. He knows how to keep you even in the face and rescue you from untruth. So why must the church sit through an entire chapter, two sermons, perhaps even three, and listen to descriptions of these charlatans and rebels Why must the church be so aggressively warned? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I know what untruth is. I'm not going to be caught in error. Perhaps you might. Perhaps you might be pulled aside by something that is erroneous. And the Apostle Peter says we all have to be on the alert and beware. And the truth is that we need to be aware because False teachers are in the church. They're in the church. They've taken, they've taken vows of membership. They, they might be leaders. They're, they're pastors. They're everywhere. And they believe things that depart from the truth. Not so long ago, we had a man in the congregation who said that what I need to do is preach only helpful messages that never speak of judgment or difficulty, sermons that don't speak about sin, sermons that only encourage and uplift the people of God. Well, that's not the whole counsel of God, now is it? He said, well, what you really need to do is teach that Christ has already come. He gave me a book, told me to read it. Of course, I've read portions of it. I disagree, it's spurious, heretical, anti-biblical. I listened to week after week after week after week after week of criticism against sermons week after week after week saying that these things were not true, that the word of God contradicted what I said. However, I leave it with you whether or not I've been been preaching untruth or the whole counsel of God's word. You see, there are false teachers who will come into the church, who will misrepresent the truth, who will say things and whisper things and perhaps get you thinking, well, maybe the pastor was wrong about what he said. And of course, we all ought to be good Bereans who open the Bible and examine and don't simply accept the words of Harold Camping or of Stephen Lavalley without question. Open the word. Examine the truth and judge me and every other minister or any teacher that ever teaches in this congregation by the word of God. And that's why we need to sit in the pew and listen to a sermon about false teachers, because they're in the church. Some of you are friends with some of them. And you don't know it. Or you're friends with Christians who affirm certain things and and who say, well, yes, I'm just like you. And yet they believe things contradictory or to Scripture. Things which might even eventually, if pressed, and if you don't defend yourself and beware and, and equip yourself with the word of God, 
things which will undermine your own faith. These people once claimed the redemptive promises of God. You remember that in verse 1? They will deny the master who bought them. There was a time when they believed that the Lord Jesus Christ had redeemed themselves. They, they believed, at least they saw the gospel for itself, and they said, well, I believe that. And they took it in an, in an accessory sort of, accessorizing sort of way. In other words, they, they took it as something to place upon uh, their wrists and to show everyone, but they didn't take it into their heart. John says those who leave the church, who depart from the brethren and the, and the, and the church of God and the faithful teaching of the word, are those who were never of us. Even those physically, they were of the church. They identified with the church. When people recognized them in the neighborhood, they said they're part of the church. They once claimed the redemptive purposes of God. They said, you know, I believe, I, I hear the gospel and you've told me about Jesus and about my sin and the necessity of faith in Christ and of God, the triune God, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and the word that that, that, that is the word of God. I, I believe and I want to enter the church and I get baptized and, and oh, this is wonderful. I have loved the fellowship of the church, but inside there is nothing. There is no substance. They've affirmed these things with their mouths, but in their hearts, they've never been convicted that they were ever in any way subject to the wrath of God and his curse. They never truly believed in their heart of hearts that they were sinners. They gave a verbal assent to it for a time, but they didn't believe it. And they never believed that Christ is the Son of God to whom they should submit without reservation. They never did. Well, individuals can fool man, but they cannot fool God. Well, these apostatizing heresies, it's, it behooves us to also beware because these apostatizing heresies are easily believed and and are often embraced by church members who have yielded to sin. There's a danger to us here. And so that's what's being identified in this passage. So we'll examine, we'll begin to examine this passage. We'll finish up next week. But first, I think we need to see this morning in the passage before us, the description of false teachers. Now, we all know what modern swear words are. We all know what language like that sounds. We know what it sounds like. When we hear it, we can identify it. Well, that's that's coarse language. You're swearing. You're using coarse language to describe something. And it's not good language. It's, it's coarse and vulgar language. Well, the Apostle Peter's not using coarse or vulgar language, but he is using language that is destructive. He's using language that is critical. He's using language that is... Strong and firm. He is using vivid, illustrative language. He is using language that is condemning language. This is what he says in this passage. They are irrational animals. 
Unbelieving people who believe apostasy and who teach heresy are irrational animals. They would hold themselves as, out as heroes of society. I'm heroic in how I question the tenets of religion. Uh, our friend, my friend uh, Arnold sent me the other night this man, a video of his, uh, a guy with a hat, and he had all sorts of chains and jewelry around his, his, his wrists, and he, he was there front and center in, 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 this, uh, in this, uh, the, this video, and he shared uh, something that he found that was contradictory, uh, or he thought was contradictory. Uh, Jehu, in his foolish promise to God that he would sacrifice his little daughter, and of course he said that God approved and made a bargain with him, and that's absolute nonsense. God made no bargain with Jehu. God did not ask for the sacrifice of his daughter, nor did he wish for the sacrifice of his daughter. But this man said, see, this is why I question, this is why Christianity isn't true. And people like that are held up to be animals, I mean, held up to be heroes because, well, they question the tenets of religion. They're, they're breaking down the barriers of religion and opening up religion to the masses. They're helping us all to achieve a new spirituality and to approach God without religion. Many of us remember a video from about maybe eight, nine, ten years ago of a young man that got out there with a really cool rap, and he rapped and he spoke about religion and how Jesus doesn't never supported religion, and he supported the needy, the hurting, the sinners. You see, he was eminently wrong. However heroic he said, sounded. And there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who said, I love this guy. He's, he's giving voice to exactly what I find in religion to be so offensive. And yet he was so deeply wrong. Jesus didn't reject religion. He told us what true religion is. To fear God and to love our neighbor. Jesus affirmed the church. Peter tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, it is the, the ground, the foundation, the household of faith. Hebrews 10 says, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves. Revelation says that Christ has prepared the bride, his church, for his, for his full embrace in the last day. Every letter in the New Testament is written to individuals? No, to churches. With the exception, perhaps, of Jude. Timothy and Titus are written to Timothy and Titus, but they concern the work of the church in the community of the church, uh, surrounding the issues coming out of the church, leadership in the church, and the conduct of believers in the church and in the community themselves. The church, the church, the church is central. The church is identified in Acts. The church is affirmed in the Gospels. The church began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked with God. The church is still walking in fellowship with God, worshiping God, adoring God, enjoying God. Irrational animals. They are not heroes who question biblical religion, biblical theology. They are irrational animals 
who deny what they know within themselves to be true of the things of God. They are creatures of instinct, we are told here. Creatures of instinct. In other words, they're not following some enlightened understanding or some higher view of God. They are creatures of instinct following all the the filthy instincts of the human condition. And that's it. Greed and lust and love of self and love of a name, even if it must be in the sow's mire. They are born to be caught and destroyed. Born to be caught and destroyed. How sobering. False teachers teaching things contradictory to the word of God were born to be caught and destroyed. Peter is saying, look, God has permitted them to carry out this evil against his name and the church. And his intention is to catch them and destroy them and to glorify himself in the destruction one day of the wicked. Indeed, God will. His holiness will be demonstrated very clearly in the catching and destroying of the wicked. Peter says twice that they're guilty of blasphemy. What is blasphemy? To speak untruth knowingly against the holiness and the perfection of God. To affirm things about God that are deeply untrue and contradictory to what he has revealed concerning himself. Like when Stephen Furtig denies that God will judge the sinner and that God hates sin and he hates the wicked. And when he denies the sinfulness of the human condition or that faith and repentance are necessary for salvation, for the receiving of grace the instrumentation of faith and repentance. He says, Peter does further in his description of these false teachers. They speak about things that they do not know. You ever thought of that word, ignorant? You ever had anyone describe themselves or identify themselves? Well, I'm agnostic about that. Do you know what agnostics really are, they're, they're ignorant. An agnostic is affirming, and I'm not being critical, I'm simply giving you the, the common definition. Someone who says, well, I'm agnostic, they're saying, I'm completely ignorant. <laughs> is that someone that you want to follow? Is that someone who should be teaching the church? I'm agnostic. Well, I'm, I'm ignorant. Well, those are the people that are caught up in their errors, and they themselves are, in fact, agnostic. They're ignorant. They they talk about things they don't know about. Have you ever listened to someone share such a thing? You're sitting there talking, and and there's someone in the group that's going to speak as an expert about some particular subject, whether it's a historical point of view, or it's about some current issue of the day, or politics, or religion, biblical theology. And they they say, well, in my study, I've done a lot of research about this, and and I'm I'm here to tell you I, I love you all, But our generation, especially the younger generation, needs to hear 
Simply looking at Google for a number of hours does not mean you've researched something fully. It means you've looked at various websites that will give you their opinion on various things. But everything you read on the Internet is not necessarily truthful. We do know that, right? Well, there are many who talk about things that they they speak about things as if they were brilliant, as if they know everything they could about a particular subject. I've heard two accounts over the last month of, of a man and a woman in separate places, de- separate geographies, who have held themselves out to be medical doctors. They've met with clients and patients who have come to see them. They've examined them. Please disrobe, place yourself in this, in this pathetic paper towel, and, uh, and then they get examined fully. Uh, and, and, of course, people are intimate with their doctors. They share all sorts of things. I have pain here, I have pain there, I have I have an issue here, and I have an issue there. And both of them, both of these individuals said that they had credentials. They had no credentials whatsoever, and they they held out that they were expert medical doctors. They didn't know anything. You could have been disrobing with someone who who didn't know anything about the medical field at all. And depending upon them for counsel about how to care for your body, taking whatever prescriptions they suggested. They wrote thousands of prescriptions for people without any understanding of how prescriptions interact or contradict one another or anything else. Well, that's what the Apostle Peter is saying about these people. They talk about things that they, as if they were authorities, and they, but they don't know anything. They're ignorant. He says further in his description of them, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceit while feasting with you. They love to do this over food or of entertainment. And so they get together with you, perhaps friends in a bar, and they rejoice over their freedom to do and act however they wish. They brag about their debauchery. They brag about their license to do as they please. Godliness, schmogliness. It's godly to enjoy revelry and indulgence. Well, we all know that God has given us the grace to enjoy the things which he has created. But debauchery and a full embrace of wickedness and of excess are in opposition to the Lord. They are accursed children in verse 14. Accursed children. They are waterless springs. Mists driven by a storm. In other words, you're coming to someone who holds themselves out to be a spiritual guide. Come, I'll show you the way. Harold Camping said, everyone, all Christians need to leave the churches and come and listen to my radio program and I'm going to show you the way, what the Bible says, and show you the best pathway to Jesus Christ. Well, that's a dangerous position, isn't it? And yet that's what he said, and a lot of people followed him. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands across the face of the earth. And you see, coming to a false teacher is like going to them for water. 
You have a spiritual thirst, and God has created a spiritual thirst in humanity, in, in, in mankind. And we long for a relationship with God. We, we know we need to be reconciled to God. We are aware of God. We, we can observe God in nature and creation and in His providence. And we see His wisdom, power, and God, and holiness, and His love. But we go, if you go to a, a false teacher, Anyone on TV on Sunday mornings, typically across the networks, they're in the number. Anyone who has their own private jet and can't fly coach, they're probably in the number of false teachers. It's not to say that pastors can't have a new car or that those who teach the people of God can't have a nice home. But when you're when when you have a three million dollar home or a ten million dollar home and you've got to get the latest new bombardier airplane, or when you say I can't fly in the tube of demons, as one preacher said, the Holy Spirit gets quieted when I fly coach. I don't think he's flying in his own private airplane in order to commune with the Holy Spirit. He can commune with the Holy Spirit in the privacy of his own prayer closet, in his car, sitting in the parking garage before he gets on that airplane. And I don't know about you, but I've prayed on the airplane. I can go and speak with the Holy Spirit, even if I'm sitting next to a screaming child. I can do it. You know what false teachers look like. You know the lifestyle they lead. And if you go to them for sustenance and spiritual nourishment and you want to drink deeply of the things of God, they are mists. In other words, you're not going to be able to slake your thirst. The water you desire is going to simply vaporize and, and cloud the way so that when you want to get to the truth, you can't see it like a foggy day or a foggy night driving through Vermont in the Green Mountains. You know what it's like. You come down into those valleys and the fog is sitting there, and you can't see the road in front of you. Well, that's what they're doing. They are clouding the way. They are mists driven by a storm. They are slaves of corruption. Everything that corrupts the human life, everything that corrupts anything in an appetite for God, they are slaves of it. And so we, we have seen the description of false teachers. And next week we'll continue into this passage together. But let me just say this this morning. I hope that none of these characteristics are true of you. I hope that you're not depending upon a false teacher to help you seek after God. I hope that you never listen to a single person that says, Follow me and I'll show you the way. And their Bibles are closed. There is a role for pastors and teachers, men and women of God who love the word of God, and to call for the people of God, come, come and follow my example. There is such a, such a need. But when they do it without the word opened, and they do it in contradiction to the revealed will of God, and they offer things contrary to the counsel of God, you should have nothing to do with them. And you should not be caught up with them. And then when they begin to tell you authoritatively that they know things which the Bible says mankind is not entitled to, you need to get as far away from them as you can.
Deuteronomy 29.29 The things, the secret things of God belong to Him, but the things which are revealed belong to us. So there is much that we know. There is much that has been revealed. We need to follow that with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And we need to abstain from any ministry that would hold itself out in some way as holding to the word of God while embracing sensuousness and greed and filthy lucre and every manner of excess. Don't let these things be named Don't let these things be true of you, that either one, you are standing in a position as a false teacher, or you hold yourself out as knowing better than the word of God, or that you listen or followed these individuals. The other thing that I want to leave with you as a last thought this morning is to make certain that you hold fast to the word of God. The way that you can avoid false teaching is by knowing the Bible, by knowing the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, you're open to every suggestion from everything from Harold Camping to Joyce Myers to artificial intelligence. And you'll believe everything you're told. But if you're a person of the word of God, you will have a ready response to the things which are offered to us that are false and contrary to the word of God. My dear friend, flee from misinformation flee from disinformation flee from every false notion however minuscule that contradicts the word of god and the lord the lord who knows untruth and is reserving these agnostic or ignorant waterless springs for judgment one day and destruction he will keep you He knows how to rescue you, and he will help you to recognize untruth. May God be pleased to make it so, we ask. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we ask that you would indeed keep us from untruth. We pray that you would help us to walk in the truth. We pray that you would help us to believe the truth, to hold fast until the very end, to endure, to persevere, to add to our faith virtue, brotherly love, and love of every kind. To, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in the simplicity of the word of God without believing in some way that we have been given a new and extraordinary and differing revelation or buying into the latest craze or hooking in with Deepak Chopra or Eckhart Tolle or any other such thing. Or reading the shack and believing, oh, this is where I should get my theology from. Or building our lives upon Jesus' calling or any other such passage, book, or false teaching. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to walk in the truth. Your word is true. We ask that you'd forgive us of our sins. We ask, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.